Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andreu. A little-known minister responsible for tackling fraud, Lord Agnew, resigned last week in the Lords when asked to defend this government's record on the large-scale defrauding of COVID financial aid schemes. The assertion made that the priority was speed of distribution of funds, he explained, is absolutely correct, but what has followed has been nothing less than desperately inadequate. Total fraud across government is estimated at $29 billion a year, a combination of arrogance, indolence and ignorance freezes the government machine. Those are Lord Agnew's words. My guest today is an investigative journalist specialising in finance and one of the founders of Finance Uncovered. He is also the director of Tax Watch, the organisation that noticed the little adjustments snuck out by the Treasury, which resulted in the recent scoop about billions of fraud being written off. Welcome to the bunker, George Turner. Pleasure to be here. George, tell me a little bit about Tax Watch, just to set this up. So TaxWatch was founded a few years ago. Um, it's, a, it's a marriage uh, between a great hi-fi entrepreneur and an investigative journalist uh, in the form of Julian Richer, who runs Richer Sounds, read uh, the book by uh, Richard Brooks, the investigative journalist for Private Eye. Uh, he wrote a book called The Great British Tax Robbery, which sets out all sorts of ways that big companies and others avoid taxes in the UK. And at the end, he kind of suggested this idea of setting up an institution to track these things on a more kind of systematic basis. Um, And Julian read the book and phoned him up, said, let's do it. And then um, I became involved. And and that was that was it. Um, And what we try and do, I mean, we're we're a charity, we're set up as a charity. So you're non-partisan. Yeah. and, And we have a charitable purpose of seeking to improve the compliance with the law with a particular interest in the field of taxation. So the whole area of compliance and avoidance, uh, evasion, but also these kind of tax frauds that we're going to talk about today is very much uh, what we're interested in. Okay, terrific. Now, can we start by clarifying something? (laughs) It, It would help me a lot. So in researching this, I was unclear about whether this is one or two stories. Let me explain. Last year, the National Audit Office criticised the government for its lax approach to the bounce-back loan scheme and explained that about $5 billion would end up being written off, either because of fraud or because they could not be repaid. This $4.3 billion that was the focus of recent reports talks more specifically about furlough schemes, self-employed income support and eat out to help out. Are these the same? Is one part of the other? Or are they two completely different write-offs? One that was administered by the government directly to businesses and the other that was administered by the uh, British bank, underwritten, as it were, by the government. So, yeah, a couple of things. They are First of all, they are completely different. So you can add those two numbers together, right? The 4.3 and the 5 billion. They don't overlap in any way whatsoever. It doesn't help that journalists appear to conflate the two stories. I mean, they use them almost as interchangeable. Yeah, I mean, I guess they are, you know, similar issues in terms of people scamming the support schemes. Um, And so you see how people can get 
confused by it, but they're different programs administered by different people, administered in a different way, and different pots of money. Um, the £5 billion uh, losses in the bounce-back loan schemes, that was a Bayes Department program. The yeah. more recent story about the £4.3 billion, um, that was to do with HMRC-administered support schemes. And yeah. so if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, there was this idea that we could throw the PAYE tax system into reverse, and yeah. that was the genesis of the furlough scheme. So, um, so HMRC were responsible for administering some of the support schemes, and they have come up with an estimate of how much would have been lost to fraud and error, and they also come up with an estimate of how much they think they'll be able to recover given the resources they have to put into recovery and that's what led to the 4.3 billion figure. I think I should also add one other thing, which is probably quite important. It's constantly being referred to as being written, like the money's being written off. And the government come back and say, the money's not being written off, nothing's been written off. That's true. You know, the, nothing has been written off. What this is about is they know, think they know how much money will have been lost. And they also put together estimates of how much they think they're going to get back. And then right, right. the gap is what's left. I mean, they would yeah. say, well, yeah, okay, we hope we can do better, right? We hope we can get even more back, you know. But So, so if, someone, day, if someone went up to them and said, oh, you overpaid me by a billion, here it is back, they're not going to say, oh, don't worry about that, it's all been written off. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's also based on how much they're currently spending on recovery, which I'd love to talk a, a bit more about maybe when we get into it. But the, sure. you know, basically, what uh, you know, in Lord Agnew's resignation letter, uh, in the response that Boris Johnson wrote to him, they, they keep, and in subsequent kind of public announcements around it, the government keeps putting out this figure of £100 million uh, invested in the Taxpayer Protection Task Force, which will lead to a billion pounds in recovery. So that's where this figure comes from. Basically, they've said... We're going to put in 100 million pounds to get 1 billion pounds back. And they kind of were trumpeting this a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, we looked at that and it was one of my researchers at Hexwatch picked up and said, oh, and that billion pounds, that's only like 25% of how much they think they're going to lose. Right, so right. It's a huge gap. So, you know, that, that's the basis of these figures, how much they're putting in. So if you think actually... If they put in more, it's a it's a pretty good rate of return, isn't yeah. it? the The question would be, well, why not put five hundred million into it, and then you'll get five billion back? Exactly, which is what <laughs> they have done with benefits fraud. Um, we'll we'll come to that uh, in a minute. So their estimate five point eight billion. Um, I, I'm just trying to put it into context of this fraudulently claimed or mistakenly paid out. I should say, because it's not, as I understand it, the figure is not all as a result of fraud. Some of it is to do with overpayments. So, um, yeah, this is a classic thing. They always put together fraud and error. Now, what that does is, a, you know, it's, it's a great way of just smoothing over the issue and say, oh, it's fraud and error. It's not just fraud, it's fraud and error. I think mm. Jim Harrah has said that um, 3.9 billion of the overpayment is fraud. Uh, and that's about 75% of the total. Uh, I think that was specifically with result to the with reference to the furlough scheme. So the majority is fraudulent, uh, and yet they always throw in the fraud and error in order to make it sound a little less serious than it is. 
Yeah, I mean, let's take the fraud and error figure simply because that is the sort of figure that the government uses for um, fraud across different sectors. So 5.8 billion of a, a scheme that cost in its entirety 81 billion, um, which is over 7%. And they are basically saying that at least roughly 5% will not be recoverable. Is that a high rate for a scheme of this kind, or is it not? Because, you see, I have no frame of reference. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think to some extent you can say that these were such uh, extraordinary schemes, a lot of them never before tried, to kind of compare them. I'm not sure it's that easy. You could find that easy comparisons. But what we do have is every year we have... um, estimates by HMRC of the tax gap, which is the total amount of losses within the tax system. That, I think, is around 5% of the total tax take. It's also very variable uh, depending on what type of tax uh, you're looking at. So PAYE, is there's not a lot of fraud and error in the PAYE system, but self-assessment, there's massive amounts of fraud Mm. and error in the self-assessment system. And and as we know, very large companies basically negotiate what tax they're willing to pay. There's been several uh, examples recently. George, in your estimation, I mean, you've looked into this, what was primarily to blame? Was it inadequate checking pre-scheme? Was it inadequate monitoring during or inadequate follow-up after? There's an argument put out there, uh, and you could see this, you know, when the the figure of of the kind of 4.3 billion being written off, quote-unquote, was put in the Times, there was a, a debate in Parliament the next day the government line was basically like, it was inevitable that it was going to be a bit of fraud because it was so difficult to do this in such a short amount of time. We needed to get the money to people. We needed to get the money to people quickly. People were desperate. If we'd put in place loads of checks, then that would have just delayed everything. People would have suffered. And I think mm. there is a logic to that. And I think that is a reasonable thing to say. You know, as I say, like if, if you think of the fraud and error in the tax system as around 5%, then you know, there's a bit more fraud and error in this system. And that's partly because of, the need to do things in a in a way which is slightly laxer in terms of the control. But what is then unforgivable is not doing anything about it in the back end, right? You know, mm-hmm. there's prevention, but there's also enforcement, right? <laughs> yeah. Then the question is, are we doing enough enforcement to get get this stuff back? And 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 monitoring, I think, because the sort of fraud experts I've read say that the longer you drift, the more impossible it is to prove fraud and to recover the money. Because basically companies reform, they go bust, they do you see what I mean? It's very much yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think this this goes into an area which is actually quite interesting about the tax system, which is about, you know, how certain features of the tax system um, you know, they may be inappropriate for the tax system, but then when you layer onto them these kind of COVID support systems, they become, or, you know, other forms of subsidy that, that exist in the tax system become really quite problematic and inappropriate. And so HMRC have for a very long time, when it comes to self-assessment, um, which is the way that a lot of people pay their tax and, and businesses pay taxes, they self-assess what taxes um, that they owe, uh, the policy is process now, check later, right? 
which means that if you put in a tax return and you say, I'm entitled to a million quid in tax relief because I've been involved in this scheme or that scheme or I'm claiming these allowances or whatever, they'll just pay it without asking any questions. And then they'll go and check your tax return later. And if they find any problems with it, they'll deal with it then. So that kind of, let's just get the money out of the door and then we'll check it later has always existed. What you have is like a massive amount of money going out the door with these COVID support schemes and not a huge amount of capacity to check things or monitor them or check things quickly, which, you know, goes to the point you're talking about. The quicker you check, actually, the easier than it is to pick up on these uh, issues. George, is Brexit a factor here? The the only reason I ask is because as a self-employed professional myself, and also someone with family scattered all over the world, I have noticed a real slowness in all aspects of uh, uh, HMRC operations. And that was before the pandemic hit. Um, So I noticed that, you know, a package from Japan that would ordinarily be checked by um, customs is no longer checked and hasn't been checked really for the last two or three years. And um, the the tax stuff and tax guidance is slow to come out. Is there is there a sense that HMRC has really been overloaded by the pandemic and Brexit sort of coming at the same time? Oh, for sure. It's been a massive problem. So, you know, if you think about it, just the amount of kind of technical work required in order to make Brexit happen or get Brexit done, as the phrase was used, right? So, you know, HMRC needed to construct an entire new system of collecting taxes and dealing with customs and excise, which hadn't existed for, what, 40 years or something. Or you know, And they got, I think it was around a billion pounds in extra mm. resource in order to do that. Uh, yeah, necessi- necessitated a billion pounds of investment, right? So whilst they're ingesting... Yeah, and and HMRC's budget around that time, I think, was only around three billion, right? So they're ingesting like a third of their budget uh, again in order to deal with this massive administrative problem, and then at the same time they need to deal with uh, the pandemic and all of the COVID relief mm. schemes. You know, I don't envy anyone who was working in HMRC at the time, uh, and the, clearly they would have had a lot of problems dealing with it. So, to some extent, they they did an extraordinary job in delivering those things and delivering the furlough scheme and delivering all that. And we can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of the fact that that was an incredible achievement. But, you know, I can't imagine that going through a Brexit made anything easier mm-hmm. in terms of any of the issues that we're discussing. Now, on the separate bounce back loan matter, um, like I said, five billion was the initial estimate of what had been left unpaid either before because of fraud or default um the the estimate is that it could end up being as much as 17 billion of the loans will not be repaid according to the NAO who described the government's fraud countermeasures as inadequate and implemented too slowly to be effective is this more of the same or are there different factors at work with a scheme that the government simply underwrites, but someone else administers, essentially? 
So, yeah, it's, it's a combination of more of the same, but a lot worse. If you go back for a second to the, to the HMRC uh, figure, right, what that's comprised of is they thought that the total amount of loss um, in all these COVID support schemes would be 5.8 billion. They say they already have got back 500 million and they thought they might get another billion. That's where they get to the yeah. 4.3 billion. With the bounce back loans, the total amount of losses is 5 billion estimated currently, and they, their target for recoveries is 6 million, right? <laughs> so, you know, for some extent, HMRC are doing phenomenally better, but, you know, they're more yeah. used to trying to get Mac money. That's kind of much more their job. But the idea that the target is, to, is 6 million is absolutely woeful. I mean, it's nothing, isn't it? It's a rounding error. Yeah. Now, I understand the technical point that the government denies these things are being written off. And yet, since this is a, a matter of policy and resources, right, um, if they wanted more recovered, they could put more resources into it being recovered and could make it more of a priority. So it is, even though it's not technically a write-off, it is in truth a write-off. Um who decides these things? There was a little exchange at uh, Prime Minister's questions last week where uh, Labour MP, MP Kate Ossimore asked if it was the Prime Minister who had decided to let this money go. And Johnson said, no, of course not. Later, uh, his spokesman clarified he meant he did not condone fraud. But is this ultimately Rishi Sunak's problem? I think it is when you look at the resourcing. Um, what it really then comes down to is, are the Treasury prepared to put the money into investing, investing in enforcement to make sure that even if we don't get more of this stuff back, the message is out there that this is a really serious issue and that you could actually be facing mm. justice. I mean, I think one of the things we've not talked about so far is actually... You know, there's there's different ways of of dealing with fraud. You can try and get the money back. That's separate to any criminal procedures you might seek to use to incarcerate yeah. people or provide with other forms of punishment to stop them from doing it. And what most of HMRC's efforts are focused on is civil recovery. You know, there's very little in terms of criminal action uh, going on. So what we really need to do is focus on investing a lot more in law enforcement. And yeah, I'm sure, you know, the Treasury has a big role in, in deciding who gets what budget. There was um, a report this week by our friends at an organization called Spotlight on Corruption. You know, they looked at fraud, um, counter fraud enforcement uh, investment across the piece, right? You know, and they were looking, saying that, you know, the, the estimate from National Crime Agency is that fraud costs businesses in the private sector £190 billion a year. Money laundering costs another £100 billion a year. You put that together, it's 14.5% of UK GDP. And yet you take all of the different law enforcement agencies that might deal with fraud from HMRC to the National Crime Agency, etc. And the total budget is less than a mm. billion pounds. Um, and that is woefully inadequate. And that was a very generous uh, calculation that they were coming to because they were doing things like putting like the whole budgets of certain departments in there um, in order to come up with that figure. But, you know, you can compare that to Italy. Italy has the Guardia di Finanzia, 
which is their kind of economic crime police. Yeah. Uh, it's 4 billion euros, the budget of the Guardia. Yeah. Okay, they do more customs work, which might be home office here, but it's just a different magnitude. Yeah, I, I mean, I think stereotypes, you know, because I'm from Greece, and, and I think stereotypes about Italy and Greece belie the progress they've made in the last decade. Um, the, the massive leap forward from Greece um, in the last few years was basically uh, outlawing cash payments. So now everything goes through effectively the banking system, and the law has provisions which go after unexplained wealth. So the concept in, in Greece is pothen eschies, it's called, and it is effectively, where did you get that? Um, so if money suddenly appears in your account and it cannot be explained by uh, by corresponding invoices and pay slips and things like that, the tax office will proactively go, where did you get this? Um, Lord Agnew referred to what he called schoolboy errors. I mean, he gave an example that uh, we gave... Uh, bounce back loans to over a thousand companies who were not even in existence or trading when COVID struck. Um, according to Agnew, this sort of fraud costs 29 billion a year. Now, for a sense of scale for our listeners, the upcoming national insurance hike will raise about 12 billion in a full year. The BBC license fee raised three and a half billion last year. So it would seem to me that tackling it is pretty important, and yet it gets so little attention. Is it because financial matters are, are dry and unsexy? Is it because bandwidth is completely taken up with party gate or or is it because actually there's a focus on small-scale fraud, like benefit fraud, for instance, while large-scale fraud is considered par for the course? Is, is there a cultural issue there? I, I've, my own view, my personal view, is that it's, it's absolutely a cultural issue. For some reason, we just see certain types of crime committed by certain types of people as fundamentally worse than other types of crime committed by, or, or similar types of crime committed by other types of people. But when you kind of stand back and look at them, really, in substance, there's not much difference between the two. Benefits fraud enforcement is the one area of economic crime where we put a massive amount of effort into. And that's hugely problematic in terms of the equal application of the law and the kind of administration of justice. So um, TaxWatch, we did a report um, mm. a few months ago, uh, before all of this, <laughs> so much an issue, where we started looking at the rates of prosecutions for um, people involved in tax fraud, as opposed to benefits fraud. Uh, yeah. and, and what we found is that over an 11-year period, there were 85,745 criminal prosecutions for benefits crime and 3,665 prosecution for tax crimes of all, of all types. So there's a 23 mm. times more prosecutions for tax crime than benefits crime. Now, if you think about it, tax crime, 
is always going to be worth more than benefits crime because tax pays for benefits and benefits are just one part of the government machine. So tax tax is always going to be a bigger issue. It purely comes down to a matter of policy, which is that HMRC do not treat tax fraud in, in the main as a criminal issue. Whereas the DWP policy is that any fraudulent uh, payment worth more than £5,000 or set of fraud case worth more than £5,000 is referred to the Crown Prosecution Service. So you end up with people who have committed vastly smaller frauds getting criminal records when people who are involved in tax frauds for much higher amounts of money sign a private agreement with HMRC where they admit to the fraud, they agree to pay the money back, and the matter is left there. It's all in private. No one finds out about it. You can continue in your role as a uh, somebody in, you know who the public is supposed to trust. Yeah, yeah. So going back to the issue of COVID support fraud, you can really see the difference as well. It's another example of this this cultural difference in the way that we look at uh, benefits fraud and tax fraud. If we look at the amount of money we're putting in to get the money back from those types of frauds, so you know the. A, Government is very fond of using this figure of £100 million pounds put into the Taxpayer Protection Task Force in order to get back the money lost to fraud and error uh, in the COVID support schemes. The Treasury gave £613 million pounds to the DWP to fight benefits fraud that arose out of the pandemic. You know, it's just a different order of magnitude. So specifically on uh, COVID-related benefit fraud, it gave... Yeah extra money to the DWP. Yeah, it's a slightly different issue in the way that the, you know, the DWP are not looking at like new schemes, but there was just, there was more fraud in the benefit system that arose because of the pandemic for various reasons. And they've been granted a pot of money, which is about 613 million pounds to deal with it. And it's, you know, multiples of the amount being given to HMRC to tackle COVID-related support schemes frauds. Um, We know... Procurement is snowballing into a big story, you know, procurement of PPE contracts during the pandemic and all of that. We now have fraud in both the loans scheme set up and the financial assistance that was administered directly by the Treasury. Do you think there is more of this stuff to come out? Did the pandemic provide cover for a sort of generalized lawlessness and disregard for the rules that as it now eases we will begin to focus on more do you have uh, does your organization have a sort of uh, follow-up uh, uh, investigations going on so yeah i think it is going to be more of an issue for the kind of political logic really which is that we've had for many years a system where um, fraud is not being taken seriously, a society where fraud has not been taken seriously, where counter-fraud agencies have not been funded adequately, where we don't think about it as an important problem, it doesn't dominate the headlines, uh, and all of that sort of stuff, right? And then you get COVID come along, and you get all of this massive amounts of government money slushing around suddenly, Mm. and it's a bit of a feeding frenzy. Um, And suddenly, when those stories can't start coming out, it becomes a much more sharper political issue, right? Because, you know, this is not just um, people who are getting their money stolen, who have been a bit naive, 
and who've been a bit negligent, which is often the kind of victim shaming that goes on with um, uh, victims of fraud. Um, Scams, yeah. It is the it is the public and the public purse being scammed, and people can get much more angry about that. And once they start getting angry about it, they start asking questions about, well, you know, why is nothing being done about it? Well, why is nothing being done about it? Because the systems aren't there, because we've never had the systems there to properly deal with these sorts of things. So I kind of think that the pandemic and the and the fallout from the pandemic will lead to these issues becoming more important and, the, and a reassessment of how we deal with economic crime in this country. Well, I mean, I hope that that is going to be the case because we really need to. Yeah. I mean, my quick back of an envelope calculation is that either one of those two instances of large-scale fraud, if tackled, could have uh, funded the universal credit £20 uplift for a year. Um, And so there you have it. George Turner, thank you so much for your time and for your hard work on this. Thanks very much. Remember, there's a new Bunker Daily on Wednesday, Thursday and Sunday mornings. You'll start the week supplement on Mondays, your culture supplement on Saturday and a longer weekly full panel episode every Tuesday. So don't forget to subscribe, review and rate us. You can also support us on the funding platform Patreon. Just search for Bunker Podcast Patreon. This is Alex Andreo in the Bunker saying over and out. The Bunker Daily was presented by Alex Andre, with audio production from me, Robin Lee. The Bunker is produced by Jacob Barchbold and Yelena Sofanevich. Group editor is Andrew Harrison, and lead producer is Jacob Jarvis. Theme music comes from Kenny Dickinson, and The Bunker is a Podmasters production.